0: This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. We're in paradise, but where? By the ninth canto, we're in Venus, the stunningly bright star named for the goddess of love. And by love, I mean erotic love. Here, Dante discovers three people, a woman, a man, and another woman, in that order. Not coincidentally, the story of all three involves eros. But let's go through each story, noting some important details as we go. The first story is that of Kunitsa da Romano. Now there are two important things to know about Kunitsa. First, she has a past that might be described as amorous, indeed venereal. In her life on earth, Kunitsa had four husbands and at least two lovers one of whom was a highly sexed troubadour. Second, she did not exactly come from a good family. She's the little sister of the infamous Ezzelino III. Ezzelino was a bloodthirsty tyrant who broke new ground in founding a throne by wholesale murder and endless barbarities. Here I'm quoting the great historian Jakob Borchardt, the senior colleague of Nietzsche at the University of Basel. So of all people, what is Kunitsa doing in paradise? It'd be a little like seeing Hitler's kid sister in heaven. It's that surprising. But one possibility, she's a person who has changed entirely. She has confessed her disgraceful sexual past. She has repudiated her amorous nature. But if that's true, then what is she doing in Venus? Let's hear what she says about herself. I was called Kunitsa, and I am refulgent here because the light of the star overcame me. The Italian here is me vince. In life, she was conquered by the spirit of Venus. But now, we might suppose, in paradise, she will express appropriate contrition for her loose ways. But here's what she actually says. But I gladly pardon in myself the cause of my lot, and it does not grieve me. So whatever Knitsa is doing, he is not grieving her erotic past. But do you find this odd? Many will, and Kanitsa herself makes this very point. It does not grieve me, which perhaps might seem strange to your vulgar herd, il vostro From the herd's perspective, the fate of Knutza is indeed strange. So why does Dante go out of his way to contrast the herd perspective with the deeper truth? We'll return to this question shortly. For now, let's proceed to the second story. The second person that Dante sees in Venus is a man. His name is Foucault de Marsilia. Foucault is a transitional man, a bridge between Kunitsa and the woman to come. What do we learn from Foucault? He tells us that he was no less full of ardor than certain legendary women, such as Dido from Virgil's Aeneid. Like Kunitsa, he was overcome by eros. As he puts it, he was imprinted by Venus. He was actually a troubadour. But he's not merely passive. If Venus imprints him, he now acts upon Venus. He says as much directly, and this heaven is imprinted by me as I was by it. Now, surely the lust that Foucault burned with on earth must be atoned for. But just as Kunica does not repent in paradise, neither does Foucault. In his words, yet here we repent not, but we smile. Not for the fault, which returns not to mind, but for the power that ordained and foresaw. Here la colpa, the fault, no longer matters. In paradise we smile, and nothing will break the smile. We contemplate the art which so much love adorns. There is a season for confession and penance, but when it's done, it's over. Guilt and shame have no role in paradise. There is only love and light. Now it's time to look at the third story, which Foucault tells Dante. This is the story of a truly remarkable woman we find in scripture specifically the book of Joshua. The name of the woman is Rahab. Volca is quick to acknowledge that Rahab sparkles far more brightly than he does, like a sunbeam on clear water. Our order, he says, is sealed by her in the highest degree. But who is Rahab? Volca gives us only the barest hint. He favored Joshua's first glory in the Holy Land, he says. Volca deliberately refrains from telling us the story of Rahab. Why is this? Because, as people of the book, Christians should already know it. If they don't, this is a telling fact. But what precisely does it tell us? And among Christians, whom specifically does Fockel charge with ignorance of Rahab? Let's return to the text of the canto. The story of Rahab, Fokel says, little touches the memory of the Pope. So the problem is not just the common herd. It goes all the way up. Either the ecclesial elite does not know the story, or it has not sufficiently appreciated its implications. In her earthly life, Rahab was a prostitute, yet she performed a courageous action. By hiding Joshua's spies on the roof of her house, she enabled him to take Jericho. Now, why would the ecclesial elite be unaware or insufficiently impressed by the story of Rahab? As I read it, the context suggests two reasons, one near its beginning, the other at its very end. At line 10, Dante reminds us that most people, whether they are the common herd or the church elite, are not in touch with deeper spiritual truths. They are, he says, anime ingannate e fatule impie, souls deceived and creatures impious. That's why they find it odd that Kunitsa is in paradise. They think that she's merely a loose woman from a terrible family. Loving demoralized, the herd would take her to be damaged goods, to use a particularly noxious phrase. But against the vulgar, the common herd, Dante knows the so-called purity culture has nothing on divine grace. Dante deliberately portrays Konitsa as a woman who has absolutely no tendency to beat herself up. She does not wallow in shame. She does not condemn her former erotic desire for the beautiful. Quite the contrary, now that she is in Venus, she is even more intensely in love with beauty than she was before. Grace has perfected her erotic desires, but it has not destroyed them. In a similar way, the herd mentality reflected by Christendom, in Kierkegaard's sense of the term, can only be puzzled by women like Kunitsa or Rahab. The ecclesial elites are no less ignorant than the common herd. They participate in the sin that Dante ascribes to Il Vogel. Volko calls the city of Florence Il maledetto fiore, the accursed flower. Its clerical class, he says, has caused the sheep and the lambs to stray because it has made a wolf of the shepherd. Now, part of the problem is that the Pope and the cardinals are reading the wrong things. They are legalists who spend all their time on canon law. For this, Foucault says, the gospel and the great doctors are deserted, and only the decretals are studied, as may be seen by their margins. They're on the Pope and cardinals are intent. Their thoughts go not to Nazareth where the Gabriel spread his wings. That's a reference to the Annunciation. So is it a problem of selective reading? Well, in part, but there is a deeper cause indicated by the last word of the canto. In turning on their people like a shepherd who becomes a wolf, they have betrayed their flock. The herd associates adultery with loose women like Kunitsa and Rahab women who are now shining brightly in paradise and smiling. But who are the real adulterers? Who have prostituted themselves on the largest scale? Dante's answer, the one who have engaged in spiritual betrayal, abusing their office, breaking their promises. So the Canto concludes with a hope. The hope is that the Vatican, quote, will soon be free from this adultery. But 700 years later, we're still reading Dante and still hoping. It's a good home. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Tory Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.